It was. I'm gonna send you this uh, 20 second recording because it sounded like um, it sounded like the guy from Silence of the Lambs. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, that's. The, I mean, I think that's a pretty dated reference, but I think it's the correct one. Um, it, it could have been that you were in like a Swedish uh, black death metal band, um, I, if you know that genre. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. It, it was very. It was. It was Nordic. Uh, oh, wow. I, yeah. It was quite. It was. It was. It was very interesting, and it was really um, distortioned. Like not only did you sound like, but it was really fuzzy. So I, it, it. You know that sometimes the alarm that you have, where maybe someone is calling me for ransom because you kidnapped my <laughs> right. kids. That was I'm, it. I'm disguising my voice. Yeah. It was, ben. Ben, we have your wife and kids. Yeah, it was, take one hundred thousand dollars in small unmarked bills. It was and take it bridge under the railroad tracks. Oh my gosh, uh, it was the audio version of one of those like cutting uh, letters out of uh, a catalog. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Type, type things. Yeah, yeah, so it was, and I was, I, you know, the, all the things that go through your mind. Sometimes it amazes me how quickly <laughs> that I can like think and see scenarios, right? Like I'm sure we do, we all do this. And the scenario yes. was like, this will be the worst podcast ever. I'm going to talk to Don. He's going to be like, rah, 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 for an hour and 20 minutes. Like we would actually go through the entire thing and post it. Um, and, and then, I, and then I also had a view of like, well, we're going to get a bunch of emails because people aren't going to like this. It doesn't sound very good. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, oh, we're, we're well, here. Well, yeah, and I don't know if this has anything to do with how weird it was sounding, but I don't know if you remember um, um, a number of podcasts ago, I started remarking on the fact that you, when you called me, it showed up on my phone. Yes. Um, and that's because I think I had two different Skype accounts. Um, and so uh, the, in one of the Skype accounts, I actually had some credits, which you have to actually use to, to like make a phone call if you, you know, because you can put money into Skype and then use it to call like regular phone lines. Right, right. And that that one was not the one I had been. That was the original, my original Skype, but not the one I had been using. And so I had to like figure out how to use it. And 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 now my Skype on my computer is my old Skype account, not my my new Skype account that apparently is my phone. So anyway, so when you when you called me the first time and I hung up or I didn't answer, it was because it was coming on my phone and not on my computer. And then I called you back from my computer, and that's oh. when it sounded. So. Weird. That maybe that was it. We uh, the we cro cross the streams. Another '80s movie reference or '90s. Yeah, I guess that's an '80s movie. Well, uh, it depends. Depends what you're talking about the the one that people like or the or the one that people hate. <laughs> I I liked both of them. I really liked I the second, like the the no, reboot. I, I'm trying to think if I've actually ever seen the the reboot. I heard I heard really good things. I was making fun of the people that were yeah. That were but uh no I, I heard good things about it. i don't think I, I don't think i saw the reboot you should go the, there's some homework for you go check out the uh, reboot of ghostbusters with uh kristen wig and um other people uh leslie jones and uh, kate mckinnon i think they're all in yeah there. the yeah. the saturday night live crew all my all my favorite uh female comedians yeah oh my gosh it's good good movie i took the kids to see that they loved it um so, so we're, it's early. I'm sorry. It's, I, I, I know we, uh, if, for those who listen to the, the after show, the after dark portion, they'll they understand, um, that we had to do things a little earlier today. Cause I have to go to the dentist, Don. Well, or we could have done it after the dentist, but then, you know, if that, that's always risky, you know, it, yes. because you never know because you might need some work done and you could be a little bit numb. Um, so yeah, so we're doing this one, we're doing this one early, but I think that's, uh, that's okay. I think, uh, 
uh, we can, uh, we can, we can, we can, we can, we can do it, Ben. Oh, we can do it. Um, and, and in fact, the, there was no, uh, situation of, uh, of risk of not knowing whether I was getting work done because a hundred percent I'm, I'm getting two, um, fillings, uh, replaced. Oh, so this or, was not a routine checkup. This was uh, uh, we're definitely going to go in there and, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, so it's not, it's, it's never my favorite thing. Um, it, but the, I mean, technology's come a long way in the, uh, you know, I don't know, 35 years that I've been going to the dentist, um, where, where now, um, they, they give you this little, I don't know if you've had any like needles at a, at a dentist recently, but they give you this like little numbing, um, uh, I don't know, cream, gel, I guess it is. And it numbs your gums. So then when the needle comes and they seem to be thinner needles, uh, for the, for the freezing, it really doesn't hurt, um, that much. And maybe I'm older and I, I, I'm less afraid of needles, but, um, so, so I, I will be, I will be frozen and I will be frozen on both sides of my mouth. Oh, that's the worst. Cause I then know. you, you have no side to chew on. You no. have to just, Oh, no side to chew on. And so, so I have, uh, so my, I, I will be at the dentist at 11. No, no offset. Cause I'm not going to tell you where my dentist is, but, and then even, I'm not even going to tell you what the, uh, time zone is. And so don't try don't come, uh, rob my house because by the time we post this, it's already going to be happening. Uh, <laughs> so gotta go. Uh, That's uh, the main thing we worry about yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, some people my- are going to be robbing our houses when we're recording. <laughs> Someone might come in and take my AirPods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or, or, you know, they could cap, kidnap your wife and kids and then call you with a, a disguised yeah. voice. Oh my gosh. I, it's funny. It already happened. Both of my kids are out of the house. Danny's at, was taking Jack or Sam to school. And then I thought I got this uh, random call of a kidnapper. Uh, so yeah, I've got to go, got to go to the dentist. And then I, I planned this because at the time, uh, I usually, uh, <laughs> here's my, my dental preference. I usually like to go later in the day. Um, and so I'm going a little earlier because I have to coach a hockey game at 5:45 tonight. Uh, so I want my freezing to be out so I don't uh, drool all over the bench as I'm yelling. I mean, drool more than normal. Uh, <laughs> just you know, as a result of the de- the dental work, I- I'll be drooling, but it it should just be my normal my normal stream of drool. Um, yeah. So we got we're we're in we're we are starting hockey season like officially first game tonight. So it's very, very exciting. Oh, it's, yeah. And it's been, it's been a, it's been kind of a break. You've had a break from the, the sports. We have all the sports balls. Yeah. No, no sports balls since like, um, May, I guess June, maybe when lacrosse finished. So it's been, yeah, it's been quiet, but this is where we get, we, we really fire up. So we'll be in, uh, um, Raleigh this weekend. Next weekend we go to uh, an, another place for OPSEC reasons. No, I, we go to uh, Northern Virginia area, like, uh, and and then we go to Hampton Roads, Virginia, and Southern Virginia, and then to Charlotte, and then that is still not the end of September. So um, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be traveling. On. I'm even wearing my uh, Carolina Eagles hat today because you know when I podcast at home, I like to wear a hat. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it makes my I like the way that it feels on with the headphones. Um huh. so I, I you know I I feel like I'm a real like real radio personality the way that I'm uh you know at a microphone with a hat on. Um that's what I think of. It's what it's what Alex Jones does, right? He wears a lot of he's a I would say he's a radio personality. Um so anyway, here we here we are. Um it uh it it, it has been um 
it seems like it's been a while since we talked, but it was not that long ago. It's been no, less than two weeks, I think, because uh, yeah, because speaking of OPSEC, I'm uh, I may or may not be uh, out of the country for uh, for a certain amount of time, and uh, yeah, we got it. We got to get this done. We got to get these posted because uh, the fans demand it. Well, exactly. We can't we can't uh, we can't forget what the fans want. Um, and, and the fans, they, they want, they want us to talk about food safety things. They want us to talk about, they, they want to know really in the show notes, how far they have to fast forward to get into the, the food safety stuff. Um, but there's, I mean, as always, so there's lots going on and we, you, the couple of times that you and I have done sort of live podcast stuff, one of the things that I think has come up a few times, um, is, how do we come up with content or things to talk about? And uh, this episode is the, the, you know, not is alike every other episode where there's like kind of a ridiculous amount of stuff um, going on in the world of food safety. And we got a bunch of feedback and um, there's, yeah, there's, there's tons. We will never really run out. And in fact, I have, I have a story for you that uh, you, that we'll get to uh, later on. Um, but I texted you and our writing buddies crew, Michelle Daniluk and Linda Harris about an incident that happened uh, during one of my uh, uh, research studies last week. And so we're going to talk, we're, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but I want to start um, on um, the, our, our, I guess, part two of our continuing tour of Canadian uh, cuisine. And, and, and this is, uh, if you go to the, um, uh, our, our show notes and pick on the, I think it is the least recent, uh, file in the folder, Don, it is, uh, entitled Canadian tour, Canadian food tour, uh, dash, uh, female bacon. You will see a lovely picture, uh, that we can link to in show notes somehow, uh, that, uh, that I took, uh, at my, um, uh, my father, uh, in law and mother-in-law's home of, uh, a, a pan, uh, full of, uh, cured, uh, pork that is, that is extremely Canadian. Do you, are you, are you looking at it? Have you found it, Don? I, I have found it. And so for the listeners, um, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to post this. So this is entitled, uh, pea meal bacon, or as Americans would call it, I think a Canadian bacon. Canadian, yeah. So it's not, <laughs> let, let me tell you, this is not Canadian bacon at all. Oh, and, good. Yeah, good. no. And I, I need to, I, I need to set the, the record straight on this. The, the reason why it's not Canadian bacon is you can see in this picture on the far right, there is a yellow crust. Oh, yes. I do see that for sure. And, and um, oh, so, yeah. Here, according to Wikipedia, a pea meal bacon is also known as cornmeal bacon. This it, sounds really good. Oh, I like oh. cornmeal and I like bacon. So, geez. Oh, my gosh. It is so, so good. Um, it's really – so this is a very specific uh, part of – so last last episode we talked about Nanaimo bars from Nanaimo, B.C., but those Nanaimo bars have permeated all of Canada. Um, so it's not just a, a you know a, a delicacy for the Nanaimians. Um, where female bacon is a little is a little more regional. It's it's a southern Ontario, um, where where I'm from, where the city of Toronto is, uh, uh, type of cuisine. And it is I, I looked up sort of some history, so I'm going to go through that uh, here in a second. But it's not something if, as I talked to if we we talked to our friends in other parts of, of Canada, and I think about, um, you know, Michelle Daniluk or Andy Warbo, 
um, Linda Harris. I don't think that they would be exposed to female bacon as much as I was uh, growing up. You may have an awareness of it, but it is definitely like a Southern Ontario thing. Um, So how how you make female bacon, it is pork loin. Um, It is not actual... Uh, it, it, it's not sort of traditional bacon, uh, which may come from uh, sort of the back of the um, of the uh, peg. It is lo- it is just your regular old loin, and it's loin that's cured and then uh, rolled in uh, cor- a cornmeal, and then um, really to to keep that cornmeal on there, it's like fra- somehow it's like flash fried or something like just to set that cornmeal. I don't know the exact process. Um, but it gives you this like crunchy, salty corn kind of flavor to your bacon. And I have a, I got a friend, I got a, I got a guy here in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina who makes me female bacon. And so I actually have some, some right now in my, in my freezer and in my Whoa. refrigerator. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So I've got, uh, Dana, Dana Hansen, who's my, uh, uh, meat scientist, uh, friend at NC state. He went to Toronto a couple of years ago and, uh, was, was there, doing some meat work and asked the guys that he was up there with to take him, you know, he, he's, he likes meats of the world. Uh, so wherever I go, I want to know what the local delicacies are. And they got him, they took him somewhere and had female bacon and he came back and he's like, I think I could make this. And so we oh, were, I thought you were going to say he brought back some from a couple of years ago. He did not been working off that stash ever since. Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> no. Um, but saying, that's not that's not very good. I, I'll, I'll pass on that. But, yeah, it might but be. If he, got, if he got the technology for making it. He got the if he got the instructions, then that's okay. Yeah, he's got the technology and the instructions. And every once in a while, I'll get a, a text from him saying, "Hey, I've got uh, six uh, pork loins for you, female. If you want to come get them." Uh, nice. And so I, yeah, we eat it. We eat it quite a bit. I eat it. I like it. But it is so Canadian bacon. Uh, is is definitely more hammy than uh, a cured pork loin. Um, so this is not Canadian bacon, but I can see how someone might be uh, confused also. So I, 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 I pulled up, um, cause today, today's one of the shows, Don, where I did some work. I, mm. yeah, I did, I did some highlighting. I did some, uh, I thought about what we were going to talk about. So I didn't know, I knew a little bit of the history of, um, female bacon. And so what the history that I thought it was, or was that there was this butcher in, in Toronto who decided that he was going to you know, try to make something different with a bunch of pork loins. And that's kind of the case, but this butcher, um, uh, in my like quaint kind of like thought of, uh, the, the depression era Toronto was the, you know, I thought he was like this corner corner store in a kind of the suburbs kind of butcher, like, like the days of old. And, mm-hmm. uh, no, this is a guy who made it. His name was, uh, William, uh, Davies and he was a pork processing giant, uh, pork processing and packing company in Toronto, Ontario. At one time it was the largest pork packer in the British empire. Uh, wow. so this is not just a, you know, small town butcher. Um, and Toronto is known as Hogtown, uh, kind of like, uh, that, that is one of the things that, uh, people refer to it as, and I had no idea why, and it's because of the uh, William oh. Davies Company. How about that? Yeah, uh, and uh, little little known fact about William Davies, and I think this is uh, fitting. Um, he, uh, he died in 1921 after injuries sustained by being butted by a goat. So uh, I guess the the meat the meat got him in the end. Yeah, well, you know, you 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 live by the 
pork, you die by the goat, as they say. <laughs> as they say, it's, a, it's an old uh, Canadian fable. Uh, I think <laughs> only you, in South Ontario. Yeah, only in Southern Ontario is that is that the case. So anyway, uh, William Davies Company uh, a, um, uh, made this uh, female bacon and then sold it at the St. Lawrence Market, which still stands today. Uh, one of the places I like to go when I go back and visit uh, Toronto. And uh, yeah, you can get great female bacon. Um, oh, the last thing I want to tell you about this sort of um, Canadian food tour aspect of, of the show is that uh, female bacon sandwiches um, are staples of like baseball tournaments and sports mm. things, hockey tournaments in the fall um, growing up. So there would be someone selling these, you know, they would just be frying up um, female bacon and then putting them on, on Kaiser rolls. Mm. Uh, and that you, with, with usually um, you could have it with cheese or without cheese. And it's really aged, like old, old white cheddar mm. uh, that pairs very nicely with it. And so that was something that, that I when when my my dad played a lot of the sports balls um, growing up, and I would have female bacon sandwiches, uh, you know, maybe seven o'clock in the morning at the Garden Hill uh, baseball fields uh, during a during a baseball tournament. Um, so how about that? So American American baseball uh, um, hot dogs, uh, Canadian uh, baseball uh, female bacon sandwiches female on a Kaiser bacon. roll. You got it. You got it. So there sounds you go. Re- sounds really good. I'm I'm I just had breakfast, but I'm I'm getting hungry. Oh, I like I like it. I I, I'm, I, I will uh, I, I, next next time you're here, I'll, I'll make sure that you you can sample this. Maybe we may be able to find some when when you and I are together in Rochester because it's about it's it's fairly close to the uh, to Canada. There might be something. Yeah. might be something up there. Yep. Um, so there you go. There's uh, thanks. Thanks again to uh, Michelle Danaluk for starting our new, newest segment on <laughs> the Canadian uh, food tour. And I, I will. I've got so many more. This is. I mean, this will take us uh, well into 2019. Well, and I have to say that you know the the uh, Wikipedia female bacon entry um, is part of a series on Canadian cuisine. So if you run out of ideas, we can always go to Wikipedia. But uh, anyway, it's 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 an exciting exciting new part of the podcast that um, now um, has delayed uh, our food safety talk by seventeen minutes and fifty seconds. So it's still go for food, it. Yeah, food Canadian food. Well, it's talk. food talk. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, it, you could get sick from it if you didn't do it right. So there you go. Now it's food safety talk. Absolutely, it's cured. It's cured. It's something. Something. You know, we, let's let's cure it. Um. So, uh, yeah. So we got a little a uh, little bit of Canadian bacon, uh, but it's not really Canadian bacon. Canadian bacon talk. Okay, I want to talk to you about some stuff that we have. Okay. So some of this is is like feedback, and some of this is other stuff. But I want to start with something that I think is the most interesting part of the feedback, and this is nothing against the other. Uh, listeners who sent us stuff, but you, you were engaged in a text conversation, uh, from, uh, you know, friend, friend of the show, um, and podcast, uh, host Max Temkin about, um, coffee. Uh, and did we, we didn't talk about this. Did we on the last episode? No, I don't think so. So, okay. So, so the, 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 uh, text conversation in question is, uh, a, a friend, friend of the show, Max's mom dropped a coffee, um, co- uh, coffee creamer into her coffee cup, and he texted you and said, "Settle a family dispute." More this morning, my mom dropped a creamer from a communal bowl in her coffee at the deli. She took it out and drank it, and she claimed the coffee was hot enough to make it to make it safe. Uh, what did you What did you say? So what I said. So let me let me find uh, let me find the actual uh, text conversation because I I I, I captured the original question, uh, but I did not capture the uh, I did not capture the response. So 
I think it's yeah, here it is. Um, so, um, Point number one, we have to consider the risks posed by the outside of a communal coffee creamer, okay? So, so that's where the contamination is coming from. Um, I suspect that the microbiological risks from the outside of a communal coffee creamer are minimal, right? In other words, if, if you sent my people from my laboratory out to go out into the world and sample the outside of coffee creamers, we'd have to look a pretty long time before we found human pathogens, or at least, you know, right, uh, right. you know, lo, lo, you know we, we, we'll probably would find bacillus, we probably would find staphylococcus, um, we might find listeria, but nothing that is, that is, you know, we're not going to find salmonella or pathogenic E. coli or things like that. Um, point number two, the risk mitigation, right, which is what we're talking about here, depends on the coffee temperature. Now, um, as I wrote to Max, I'm assuming that your mother did not whip out her tip-sensitive digital thermometer and record the temperature, record temperature data for us. So I'm going to speculate it was at approximately drinking temperature for coffee, okay? Um, now, if you do a little bit of Googling, you can find out that drinking temperature for coffee is about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. If you get much um, warmer than that, <clears throat> you run the risk of scald, scalding your mouth. And if you get much colder than that, it's just not a comfortable temperature that most people like, okay? So if you say, okay, how many minutes do you have to be at 140 to get to get a significant log reduction in the concentration of bacteria, it's going to take a lot of minutes, okay? So, and remember too, the coffee, it's, if it's in a small mug, it's it's not staying at 140, it's cooling down over time. So the the hot coffee does little to reduce the risk. So my, my answer for Max was net-net, the risk is low and coffee does little to make it any lower. <laughs> nice. That's so. a that's a really complete complete answer. Um, so, I got to read Max's response. He says, Max, Max responds. He says, I'm going to de declare this a draw, but I bet <laughs> those creamers are filthy, though. Yes. People, so people are putting their grubby paws in there. So thank you, Max. Oh, so, so true. So, I mean, I think and um, I, the way that I looked at this one was I think the risk of um, uh, any risk that we would look at here would be risk of physical uh, hazard more than mm. anything. Just gr mm. gross stuff on the outside, little jam that, you know, someone's, uh, you know, taking jam packets out and there's some strawberry jam and then they got that on their uh, coffee. And so I'm with, I'm with Max on this. It's gross. They're probably filthy. Uh, but from a human, human health standpoint, uh, uh, I, I, I agree with you pretty, pretty, pretty low risk, yeah, but, 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 but I think we can, we can all, we can all agree that, um, Max's mother's claim that the coffee was hot enough to make it safe is probably, probably inaccurate. But yeah. again, uh, we don't, we don't know, right. Cause we don't have any data on the actual temperature of her coffee. I will say based on the, the photo, uh, that, uh, Max sent, uh, she did put some cream in her coffee. Okay. Uh, but probably that's what happened, you know, as she was dropping the communal creamer, the, 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 the communal um, bowl creamer in is as she was actually pouring uh, cream in. So that and that and it looks like the temperature in the, in the cream has already been added. Um, and, and so obviously that that has worked to cool it down some as well. If it was black coffee, it might be hotter. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And not and not to, you know, not to. Um, you know, go all um, uh, compromise his 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 opsec. Apparently, his mother likes uh, uh, saccharin, according to the the the, the, blue, the uh, pink scraps uh, on the table. I think so, everybody should. Sorry, sorry, Mrs. Temkin, to, to compromise your opsec. Oh my gosh, I think everybody should just send Mrs. Temkin uh, packets of saccharin. Uh, as a result of this conversation, um, so uh, you know the other thing to to go like full food safety nerd on this is um, one of the factors that we haven't talked about is not other people's grubby hands, but what were what was maybe on her hands uh, as well. 
um, at the same time, you know, just going through your daily uh, you know, walk through. And, and if, uh, as she went into the deli, if she had happened to wash her hands before she, uh, ate her, her food or touched this creamer. Um, so, but I, I I'm think sure, I'm sure that Max's mom is a very clean lady. I, I'm, I'm sure there's nothing <laughs> bad on her hands. <laughs> that's... Let the record show that that was Ben making the allegations, uh, not me. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so I, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about, um, starting, I guess, a request from, um, from our listeners and, and we get, we get really great feedback and we get a lot of questions. I like, I like the idea of this kind of stuff, like food safety in, in every day. So the request that we kind of put out was like, tell us your food safety outbreak illness story. And, and I don't think we've received any, so, so that might not be working for us. So I want to, I want to switch it up. I want to put another request out there, which is this kind of stuff, food safety in, in everyday life. Send us, send us pictures, send us stuff like, like, you know, someone drops something in, in their coffee. And then I, I think it's, it's fun for, for you and I to kind of reason through the risk discussion. And, and often we're doing some of this stuff with, with the other specific questions, but most of the questions that we get aren't these types of things where it's like, Hey, I'm going to make a, um, a mug cake in, in my microwave from, you know, a recipe from Pinterest where I'm going to just like put some, um, you know, um, dry cake mix and raw egg in the microwave and make them make a cake. Uh, is that, is that safe? And, and send us some pictures and, and we can, we'll, we'll talk through it. I like this idea. Yeah. You know, and I did a, something similar when I taught, um, the <clears throat> undergraduate, um, 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 survey course or seminar course, um, which is a, you know, a, a I forget what the the name of it is. Oh, burn burn seminar where I their homework for the students was every day or every week. I want you as you go through the world just to like look around you and see like see if these food safety questions occur to you and then and then your homework is to write them down um in a log and then we'll go and we'll talk about them on in class because you know it just gets people thinking with you know kind of that food safety perspective. Oh, and speaking of everyday life questions and also speaking of Nanaimo bars because mm-hmm. of the earlier section, we got uh, an email uh, feedback that just came in. I didn't have time to oh. log it, but I do want to talk breaking about news. Um, Break- yeah, so it's pretty it's it's a pretty good question. So and this comes from um this comes from uh, Don. This yeah, is the part where Don is figuring out what the privacy uh, aspect of this email is, and if it's no, no, share all details uh, freely. Says, yes, share all details freely. And so this is from Liz. Um, and so Liz writes, I have been making uh, date balls, a healthier version of Ben's Nanaimo bars, perhaps, um, for my mother while she is going through chemo treatments. Okay, uh, and she's all. And Liz's mom is almost done. So, so good, good job, uh, Liz's mom. Um, she says, I was wondering what the risks are for spoilage and bacterial growth uh, since she is currently immunocompromised. OK, so this is a, this is a really good nuanced question. All of the ingredients are shelf stable. OK, the ingredients that she lists are dates, almond butter, flax and chia seeds, rolled oats, dried coconut and chocolate chips. After I puree them in the food processor and form them into balls, I have been storing them in the refrigerator. I take care to wash my hands before switching tasks and keeping my equipment clean. Um, And then she has a follow-up email message. One additional detail that I should have added to my question about the date balls is that my mom has been carrying them in her purse for long stretches during the day, possibly overnight. Okay, so I have some... some clear thoughts for Liz, but why don't you take a crack at it first? Yeah. So, so let me, um, run down the, the list of ingredients. Uh, again. Ingredients. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I heard, I heard, I heard chia we're, seeds. We are, we are yeah. going, we are both going to the same place on this. Yeah. So 
uh, that let's go through the list of ingredients. Dates. Yep. Almond almond butter. Okay. Flax and chia seeds. Mm. Rolled oats. Dried coconut. And chocolate chips. And and my guess is, you know, Liz can um, can clarify this maybe with some follow up. But I, I just googled a couple of uh, recipes for for date balls, and it looks like these are not. So it's food processed and then rolled into a ball and refrigerated. Like there's not a heat step um, right. in this. Yeah, in this process. So 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 to me, the the, I, the you know the the biggest riskiest part of this would be the flax seed and the and the chia seeds that absolutely they're shelf stable and i've just uh shot you a link uh don to an outbreak um that uh in 2013 and 2014 that i remember uh commenting on and and talking about on the podcast uh but also getting interviewed about and writing about quite a bit was um an, an outbreak of uh, salmonella um uh, what kind of, what was the serotype here? Oh, well, it just says salmonella in this, uh, 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 publication, uh, but salmonella linked to chia seed, sprouted chia seed, uh, pr- pr- powder. And that to, to me is what I would worry about the most because, um, I would not look at flax seeds or chia seeds as, um, as you know, absolute, you know, zero risk, lowest, lowest, lowest possible risk. There's no zero risk, you know, lowest possible risk foods. Um, if there's not a, a, a wet, um, heat treatment, uh, process, uh, for this. And so, I mean, anything that happens from that chia seed from, um, you know, in the production cycle of the chia pet, which I think chia seeds are all grown, um, on chia pets. Um, and so <laughs> I think there's also chia seeds that you get, uh, from outside and that are harvested probably not on chia pets, but in, in fields and, or in sprouting, um, uh, processes. But, uh, that, that would be where, where I would go. And, and, and this is, this is one where it's really, really delicate, um, in, in these conversations. I think that, um, chia seeds, and flax seeds that are eaten in this way for someone who is not immunocompromised, it probably carries a really, really low risk of foodborne illness. Um, but, but to, to me, all bets are, are kind of off in the, um, you know, going through treatment for, for cancer. And so it's that I, it would be one that, um, that I would think uh, about. Um, and I, and I wouldn't see this as the lowest possible risk way to, to make these. Yeah. And the only thing I would add is that coconut in the past has also been linked to salmonella outbreaks. Um, no, no, nothing current. I would say probably if I had to stack these, these ingredients up in terms of risk, I would put a higher risk on the flax and chia seeds. But also given all of our discussions about flour previously, I don't know what the microbi- microbiota is of rolled oats either. Oh, right? true. Um, and so uh, of all of the things on the list, I think the chocolate chips are pretty safe. Um, I think that the almond butter is also pretty safe, assuming it's been, you know, it's, it's sourced from California. California almonds and and you know we know that almonds because of the almond board of California all almonds have to be given a four log reduction so that's you know for for salmonella so that's relatively safe I don't know too much about the microbiota of dates but but let's <clears throat> I want to so so two two kind of related comments Liz's primary concerns that that she's talking about are washing her hands and storing them in the refrigerator. Now, these are all shelf-stable ingredients. I've got to imagine when you combine them, they are still shelf-stable. 
stable. And so we're not talking about creating conditions where the risk goes up over time. So let's say you did have some contaminated coconut or some contaminated chia seeds, that level of contamination is not going to go up because this is not a product that is going to spoil. It, it, there isn't a risk of bacterial growth. The, the risk comes just from the ingredients. And so if she were to take all those ingredients and lay them out and her mother were to eat them all separately versus eating them combined, the risk really doesn't change. I mean, unless, I mean, you know, maybe you could get a situation where one of the ingredients was a little bit higher water activities. So maybe, but, but, I don't, but I don't think so. And so really the risk here, and so the, the additional risk posed by her mom carrying them in her purse, <clears throat> I think is minimal. Now, maybe there's a possibility um, that it could cross-contaminate from something in her purse if it's not properly wrapped. But, but again, we're not talking about a risk of amplification um, of, the, of, the, of the risk because of, you know, bacterial growth. And so I guess what I would say is they're, they're probably not a fantastic food for someone who's immunocompromised. There is definitely some risk there. Um, and if there was a way, again, I don't want to give Liz homework, but if there was a way um, to to find, uh, and, and, and again, I know somebody who's immunocompromised probably doesn't have a, you know, if they're undergoing chemo, they don't have a great appetite. You need a way to get a lot of calories into them easily, right? And that's the, the whole reason why, you know, people uh, in the hospital that got sick with um, Bluebell ice cream uh, milkshakes were sick because they were eating milkshakes because it's a good way to get a lot of calories into somebody. Um, so <clears throat> I know she's probably looking for something that is calorically dense and tastes good that her mom wants to eat. So, so, but if there's a way that you can find um, a date nut bar recipe that involves heating, um, that's probably going to be a lower, again, again, it's, and it's got to be heating in a, in a higher water activity environment. So something, you know, more like a brownie and, and less like a, like a just, just dates, um, something that does involve some, some baking, um, uh, you know, it's going to be lower risk, but so, you know, not, not no risk, but, but again, the, what the wrinkle here is you're feeding it to somebody who's immunocompromised. And so that's, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I net out on it. It's not, not, not an ideal food. No, I'm, I'm with, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, uh, uh, on this. Um, and, and I think that you, you bring up a really, really good point. You know, we can sit back and look at this from a microbiological risk kind of way, but it, all of these things are, are trade-offs, right? So how, how, what, what types of foods are out there that are available for someone who is, uh, being treated for, for, um, you know, for cancer, uh, that also doesn't like taste like garbage or like that, right. that you know, adds to your, um, you know, as, as much pleasures as you can from, from this process. Cause I'm, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, one of the things that, um, that, you know, Liz didn't talk about in her email, but, um, her, her mom's likely avoiding a lot of other foods already. Right. And so here's, here's one that, um, that, you know, might, um, be a replacement, but, uh, but there, there are risks uh, associated with this. I wonder if there's a heat treatment process that someone could could do with this. And I don't know. And th that being said, and whether it's um, if there's enough um, moisture in that in it, as opposed to just like you know, it's still a little moisture food, and and then now I put it in, in the oven or something, and and it can it makes it crunchier, um, but but also doesn't do much uh, in the in the process of reducing risk from salmonella. So. Um, really, I mean, really good question. These are the kinds of things that I we we want to keep talking about. Yep. Um, hey, so I've got some I've, I've got some breaking news too. Okay, go I've, for it. So I've got I, I've a, 
Um, I, I, I gave a, a talk a couple of weeks ago uh, to uh, a, a group of high school uh, foods teachers. And, um, and I'm going to not I'm going to keep everybody sort of anonymous and, and not talk about, uh, you know, OPSEC on, on this at all. Um, and you'll see why as we as we go through this. Um, but at the end of the, the conversation, I had an individual uh, come up to me and um, she shared a story about her son who uh, got sick from salmonella. And the story was really um, kind of like. Uh, tough. I mean, uh, to to hear. So her son is a uh, was an was an athlete or is an athlete. Um, it, you know, not not in our traditional um, uh, groups for at higher risk for foodborne illness. And you know, male twenties uh, and um, a a like a amateur athlete, like competing nationally in good shape. Um, got, got sick, um, with, uh, some, uh, uh, nausea, vomit and diarrhea. Um, it didn't get better right away. Did get better after, uh, about a week, but then, uh, began experiencing, um, back problems and sciatica. And so this is all happening this summer. So the conversation that I had, uh, with this individual was, um, you know, sort of like early August. And so she she said he he had just um, returned home from the hospital uh, and had three days there. And during that time, uh, discovered with a um, you know, sort of a couple of MRIs and um, then putting a needle directly into the part of his back that was hurting uh, that his uh, he had salmonella and the salmonella infection um, was in really around his spine. Um, and so, you know, they drained some of the fluid and then treated them with, with antibiotics. And her, her question to me was, and this, this is the sort of the real kind of stuff of foodborne illness, right? Like, so that, that it sounds, first of all, sounds terrible, right? Like this is not just a little bit of vomit and diarrhea. This, and this doesn't happen all the time, but it, you know, you don't know whether you're going to get something more serious to this. And we know that salmonella has been linked to reactive arthritis, um, as well. And, and, you know, not, not, not a whole lot of information about what, like how that happens. And so, um, sounds like the Seminole, uh, infection migrated from his gut to other parts of his body. Um, he, he was then treated for some sepsis, sepsis, uh, sepsis, sepsis is how you say it in, uh, in the British Commonwealth, Don. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to argue. Yeah. Yeah. Just check out your acorn TV. You'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't have a bell for myself there. Um, so, um, he, he you know, he was re re you know, recovering, but the, the conversation was, you know, where, how do we find out if he's part of an outbreak or not? And, um, how do, you know, there are, there are some real like public health costs here and there are some real health costs to the individual, um, on hospital stay and, you know, they have, they have pretty good, uh, sounds like pretty good health insurance, but, but it wasn't, this is not a, not a free situation. Right. And so if it was, if it happened that he was part of an outbreak, are there ways to, to, uh, sort of recoup some of those, um, those costs. And, and so, so I, I had a, we, we talked for about half an hour about this, and, and sort of, I, I said, okay, so where, where are the, where's the diagnosis at within the public health world? Um, it, you know, has, has the, uh, 
Uh, it sounds like salmonella was confirmed. It's a reportable disease. The, those isolates would be sent to the state health or through from the state health department to CDC, and um, you know there there should be some connection. And so I, I talked about PulseNet, and I said, you know, we, it, without knowing what the strain of salmonella is, um, you know, in our conversation, there, there are lots of things that, that could happen here where maybe it's, if it's salmonella enteritidis and there's a high level of background in, in the U S population that, and with a very common, um, uh, genetic, um, fingerprint, um, that, that might just be the end of it, right? Like from a public health investigation. Um, I don't, I don't think, you know, with resources sort of limited and the amount of time that it takes for whole genome sequencing, I don't think that, uh, public health folks are whole genome sequencing every common type of enteritis. Um, and for those who are listening, you may be, and please tell us if you are. Um, and so, so as I guess an advocate for her, her son's health, she wanted to know what could she do to follow up, right? Like how, how does she follow this? And so, um, I, I said that, um, you know, a, a really good thing, um, to do is to follow up with local public health and then with the state health lab and to ask the question and you're going to, you know, it was like, you're going to sound like, um, you kind of know what's what's up, but if you ask the question of if if this was uploaded in a PulseNet and if there were any matches, and where those matches were, and you know just getting as much information about this as possible, and so so she she followed up with me uh, a, a few days later and said um, that she had been in contact with the doctor, uh, his primary health care, and said his primary primary health provider didn't know anything or hadn't received anything back, and they were still waiting for a return call, and she was going to call again. And then, um, you know, I, I received this this email uh, earlier this week, and she said, we still haven't heard a definitive answer. I've looked at the PulseNet website, but I wasn't successful in finding what I needed. I wondered if you were more familiar with the site and could direct me. I wasn't sure if there was any way to look up someone by name or date range or disease or even if that was possible. And so then she provided me her son's name and then, uh, and, and you know, reminded me that it was Seminole in, in uh, middle of late July 2018. And this is, I don't like, so here, here's how the, how, where it's going to go from here. I'm going to forward this message to like the moles that I have and people that I know within uh, public health, both at the state level and then federally to see if I can follow up and, and help this individual get an answer. But this, this isn't that, that's not like a realistic way that people would be able to do something with this, right? Like that's because we're in the world. We know the people to ask. If I'm just if I'm if I'm a mom and I'm concerned about my kid and and I don't have a a good connection through my doctor or for whoever, you know, the hospital that's doing the work, this stuff just like there's not there's not a, a way to navigate this, right? Like, like, and, and I, I really appreciate the way that she wrote this. And I'm going to go back to this. What she said was, I've looked at the PulseNet website and I'm not successful in finding what I needed. And, you know, my, my gut reaction is, yeah, of course not. Cause it's not, it's not there, right? Like right. What, what, it's not, um, but, but she, but she doesn't know that. And, right. and people don't, don't know that. Um, and, and I, in, in the way that we, um, continue to look at food safety as as being open and transparent. This is one. This is not friendly, and it's one of the things I I won't I won't name um, I won't name names uh, at all. But you and I were at a meeting not too long ago with uh, a food safety public health epidemiologist person, and we were talking about outbreaks 
and um, the, the public health epidemiolo- epidemiology, it's not the foodborne epidemiologists, but the public health folks, um, th- this individual said, as soon as they link a bunch of things together and they find the food type, they're, they're out. They're not all that interested in going back and working with those patients or working with the food industry to figure out what caused it, right? Like their, their job, their job's kind of done. And, and that there's, to, to me, there's like a gap here in in public health and it's not i mean it's no fault of the epidemiology it's no uh, epidemiologist no fault of the the system it's we i don't think we do enough work in that next step of you know a letting people know that they're part of this um and that this you know provides maybe some uh some answers or some closure um and then b doing something about it to to move you know move uh backwards to figure out what the uh, the root causes were and, and source attribution um, you know, factors, you know, contributing factors. So anyway, I, this, this, this whole conversation kind of like struck me a little bit and, and I wanted to get your take on, on it. Yeah. And it, it just shows, it shows how the world has changed and yet it, it hasn't changed. Right. Like, so back in the day, um, you know, somebody would have a situation like this, they'd have an isolate, you know, they'd send it off to the local public health lab, the public health lab would probably do something and then they'd send a fax to CDC and then somebody would enter that into a computer somewhere. But I mean, the, the, we, the world has changed, right? And we live in this internet connected world, but public health in many ways has modernized, but in many other ways it hasn't. And wouldn't it be fantastic if she could go in and look up her son and find out his type and then look at the matches to other types and then a way to contact those people. Right. But that's like, we are so far away from that. And and she, she really, what you have to do honestly is just, you know, basically let them take the sample and then basically wait till you hear back and you may be waiting forever, right? You won't, you won't even get an answer back saying, no, it didn't link to anything. Right. You just won't get an answer back because the system is not set up to do that. It's yeah, it's, it's just evaporates. not set up to do that. And so I feel, I feel for this person, right? This is a person who really cares, who really wants to know what's going on. And at least she should have some closure to say, yes, we sequenced it or we, we pulse typed it and we submitted it and there wasn't a match or there wasn't, there weren't, there weren't a lot of matches or the epidemiology didn't pan out. Like that happens a lot. Right. But I bet that without, without you and even maybe even with you, she is not going to get any, like there's, right. there's the answer is going to be, you know, as, as, uh, um, Merlin often says, talking about John Syracuse, the system's going to return null, right? It, the, the system is not even going to respond with anything. Yeah. Right? So, and it's, and that's that's sad, but but it's 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 the reality. But but it wouldn't it be great if we had a system that 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 could that could do something more, and that she could find out, and that she could follow up. Um, but I just don't think it's gonna it's gonna happen. Um, yeah. So sadly, I mean, and then I guess the other the other side of this that occurred to me is like, well, what based on what she, she you know or what she knows and what her son ate, what were the likely foods, right? Right. And, and you can sort of pursue it from from that angle, but without without something more uh, definitive and concrete, somebody like Bill Marler is probably not going to get involved, right? I mean, it's just because it's just not worth his time, um, you know, to to chase down things that are you know that that are that are this perhaps out in the fringes or this you know this far removed from 
maybe ever connecting to an outbreak. But absolutely, um, you know, this this the other point that that all of this underlines is that 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 foodborne illness is not just a tummy ache, right? Like this is her son was seriously sick. He could have died. He had um, uh, um, in, infection of the tissue around his spinal cord, right? So yeah. this was a um, you know. Um, uh, meningitis, right? This was, this yeah. was serious business. Um, and, and there may never be a, an answer, right? And, 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 and again, there, there might actually not be, it might just it be a sporadic not, case right. and who knows, it might not even be foodborne. Yep. Right? All, all, um, yep, all true. So, but, but we just, we're never going to, we're never going to know. And the system is not really designed to tell her even the system is not even going to tell her that we don't have an answer. The system is going to return null. Well, and, and that's the frustrating part, right? So, so, so let's say, let's say, um, something magically works and she's able to get the date that the sample was sent. Like there's, there, <laughs> I, I don't have my bell, but I, you know, there's gotta be some blockchain here, right, Don? Uh, um, but the, she, so say she's able to get the sample date and there, there was clearly some follow-up because it was confirmed to Salmonella. So there's some paper trail that gets back to her, um, her son's, uh, information. And, and so to be able to follow that through the system and let's assume that it, it got up because it's reportable, it got uploaded into PulseNet. And, and then it, 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 like you said, it, it could go one of multiple ways, but one of those ways might be, and this is where, where Bill comes in, that this is a, uh, I mean, there's a ton of salmonella related outbreaks this summer that were multi-state, right? Um, and I'm going to like look this up so I can be somewhat intelligible about it. Uh, but we were talking about like honey smacks was one of them, you know, when we were together, uh, here we go. Here, salmonella, uh, 2018 chicken, raw Turkey products, high V pasta salad, uh, Kellogg's honey smack cereal, pre-cut melon, shell eggs, dried coconut, chicken salad, cratome, raw sprouts, Frozen shredded coconut. All of those things happened in 2018. The shell eggs, pre-cut melon, and honey smack cereal all were around, and and the the pasta salad were all around the same time that this individual might have been exposed to it. And so, oh, and I just want to point out in the callback to earlier in the episode, on this list is dried coconut. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So back to Liz's question about making these bars or these uh, date bars date. Um, uh, dessert uh, kid, uh, balls, date balls, date, date, balls, balls, sorry, date balls. balls for her immunocompromised mom, uh, dried coconuts on the list of salmonella investigations from 2018. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so if it's like, even if we're just getting down to strain, which she doesn't have that information, right? If it's salmonella San Diego or Mbagdaka or Adelaide or Brander up, now we're at least limiting to potentially being linked to these four outbreaks. Right. But, but she can't, she can't do anything yet. And, and without without knowing even that piece of information, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna report back. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time on this. I've got you you know like we got some we got some peeps that we can reach out to um, that might be able to to help with this. But but that's not like uh, and I'm gonna tell you a story about um, uh, research and human subject research in a second. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. I've been waiting. I've been yeah, waiting. Yeah. Um, but but there's there's something about this the, her son's stool samples that it's not just her son's stool sample for the good of public health and being able to identify illnesses. We don't do reported illnesses just because we want to identify things for the greater good. That's his data. 
Like that is he 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 did not. Um, it, it, you know, it's he he gave something that was you know probably terrible for him um, with with a, a risk benefit decision, right? And he he does my my interpretation and really my my philosophy around this is he has the he it is his information he has the right to find out where it goes and our system kind of sucks and it doesn't right now for you know and she's just going through the normal like follow up with a doctor because that's what we're supposed to do it's not it's not returning anything back um but it's his data right like it it, it right. exists somewhere right um and that that's frustrating to me that's the like that that breaks down the the whole you know the whole process of public health for for good right like these these folks and and i know this is going to sound super preachy um and i i know that there are outbreak investigators and foodborne uh, epidemiologists and public health epidemiologists that listen to the show we we can we continuously always have to remind ourselves you and i the same way that this is like these are real people that we're looking at their data from right this is not um just a a a, a list of poop the poop came from someone and it came from someone who was sick or it, you know in this case it was a an infection that came from this this fluid around his spinal cord it came from someone who was dealing with with symptoms and we we can't forget that because when we don't like follow it up or we don't look at systems to improve the way to get feedback and to get to what you were talking about of it should it, we've come so far but we haven't come far enough to, to do this we we, we need to, the the whole community's got to keep pushing that forward right we can't just sort of throw our hands up and, and be like well oh we did as good as, as we could but the system sucks yeah, and and so so two points. Number one, as a guy that looks at the numbers, I I find that I this is something I do a lot, and I'm not happy about it. But that I I I abstract it, and I start I I just start thinking about these things as cases and as numbers rather than as actual human beings, and that's bad, and I shouldn't do that. But I mean, that's just that's just you know my own particular issue to struggle with. But then the other more practical point is, you know, one thing you could do right away, Ben, is share the CDC list with his mom and say, well, did yeah. he eat any of these foods in that window? Right. 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 And, that, and at least, yeah. I mean, doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that he's not part of an outbreak, but at least it would, it would be, it would be something, right. It would be some concrete information that you can say, look, these are known outbreak investigations from 2018. Um, did he eat any of these foods? Right. 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 I mean, at least as a starting point. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And, um, we, we did have a, a brief conversation when we saw each other in person um, about um, the honey smacks and I think maybe the pre-cut melon. Cause we, cause the part of my talk was like highlighting here are some things that are going on. Right. And that's what triggered her to come up and say, Hey, my son had, had salmonella. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to push, I'm going to spend some time today after receiving this email and, and put it out to the folks um, who, and if there's someone who's listening that, that wants to contact us, that, that might be able to help complete this story. Um, there's, you know, I think there's some, there's some value in highlighting how hard this is, um, to get, to get this person some, some information. And, and, and I'll, before I, uh, before we totally leave it, um, if there's information in the system and this person is part of one of these big outbreaks and there's a class action lawsuit that's going on. Uh, on behalf of those uh, those victims, the system we're and if we're in the system, we're not part of we're, we're not part we're part of the problem if we're not 
helping this individual find out if they're in or not on that, right? Like there, there yep. is, there, we, we, you, you, we gotta, we, we gotta be advocates for public health and not just, you know, reducing cases, but uh, like, and from a number standpoint, but actually helping people that are, uh, that are victims. So anyway, I'm, I'm all fired up, Don. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional about this. So yes. Ah, all right. Oh, speaking of emotional, um, well, so, so two things. Number one, I want you to tell us a, a story about how once again, you almost got arrested. Okay. Uh. So I, I have been doing food safety for longer than you, and I have come close to being arrested zero times for any of the food safety <laughs> research I've done. And you, you are, you have been, but you, who's been doing it le- much less time now, it's uh, tw- almost twice you've been arrested. So Correct. I want to hear about that. Um, there's a bunch more listener feedback that I want to get to, but then we also have your, uh, hard out dentist appointment. Yes. So let's, 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 let's structure this. Uh... Okay. So, so here's the, here's the story. So, um, I've talked a little bit on the podcast about, uh, some research that we've been uh, doing in my group. Um, some work that, that I, uh, partner with, uh, Leanne Jacobs on, on consumer food handling, um, behaviors. And, um, the, this, we, we partner with lots of, lots of people on this, but we're, we're doing the, a, a bunch of observations, uh, for, for this entire, for this big project. And part of the, the observation process is, um, we, we recruit individuals, um, using a variety of methods, social media primarily. Um, and so we use like Facebook ads and we use, um, Twitter and we use Craigslist, uh, as, as sort of, m- mechanisms to get folks to come and we recruit people for um a study that is that is really um advertised as uh, a a cooking study uh, a study on preparation and when we go through a process of screening in individuals one of the questions that we ask for um is do you commonly wash your poultry at home uh you know chicken chicken parts uh is this something that you that you do um, and, and the real reason for this phase of the study is to look at the chicken washing behaviors of individuals and then also the cleaning and sanitizing behaviors after chicken washing. Um, and so we, I, part of the reason why I think I'm close to being arrested, a, you know, multiple times is that I, a lot of my research deals with people. Um, you often <laughs> do not have, I often do not do I, It's hard enough just doing research with the bacteria. Man. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's it, way it, too complicated. And the bacteria don't, don't call, don't call the police. No, uh, I, we just throw them in the autoclave and boom, we're done with them. <laughs> See, that's, that, that's an approach that you we can kill cannot bacteria. Take. You oh can't kill people. No, no, we really cannot. Um, and so, so we, um, you know, we're, we're recruiting from, from people in the community and, uh, we get lots of great participants um, this way, and we get people that are like just interested in being part of science, and people that are uh, retired or or may not be working and are looking for because we pay people uh, an incentive for their time. Study takes about an hour and a half, so we pay them in seventy five dollars in, in gift cards uh, for their time to to come in. Um, we uh, we look for um, we try to build a sample. Um, clo- as close to the census as possible. So we're, so we're, we're like looking for people from lots of different socioeconomic uh, uh, worlds, from lots of different demographics. And so, um, when, and so we, have, we have participants come in. And so one participant last week came in. And the way that the observation works is we ask them to prepare a food and they're using a spice blend. 
And the spice blend, um, this is a, what's deemed to be a deception study, which this sounds insidious if you're outside of the research world, but in social science, there are lots of deception studies that happen and they happen for a really good reason. One is we want people to act normally and not take the objectives of the study and either try to match those objectives because we there's there's quite a bit of research on on this that um, when told about things generally um, people uh, try to please right like so yeah, so, so right. If, yeah so if you say hey we're doing a study on how you wash your chicken. Um, people are like, oh, well, I know that, you know, I'm coming in, I want to do a good job. I want to get my $75. So I'm going to, I'm going to change up how I wash my chicken and they could do this subconsciously even. Right. So, so we deceive people, um, and we deceive people, uh, to, to get their, their real reactions, uh, of what they're, what they're doing. Um, deception studies only are allowed. And, and so we have a, there's a process for, uh, deceiving people. Um, we, we go through for not, not just deceiving people, there's a process, but there's a process for all human subject research. Uh, there are federal, uh, laws about how research, uh, with individuals, with humans, uh, needs to be conducted. It's something that I, I really value. And, and again, it comes back to that philosophy, similar to our last conversation is someone, I, I, am a researcher. I'm interested in data. Um, as I have moved into this world of research and, and, and taken training and thought about it, um, the, I, I, the, the system that's set up is to protect an individual from participating in research uh, that may risk be a risk to them or may harm them. That's you know item number one because we have a history in, all throughout the world of putting people through research and harming them, and and that's terrible. So so we so we have systems to make sure that we we go through a review to make sure that we're not we're not going to harm them. Um, yeah, and once and just as just as a little bit of an aside, we will link to uh, the Wikipedia article on the Tuskegee Airmen, okay, which is uh, probably a, a famous, infamous. Uh, study where basically they had men, African-American men who were infected with uh, syphilis um, who basically uh, they didn't treat because scientists were interested in like what the effect of long-term syphilis was on people. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And it's, and it's, re- uh, it's, and, and the reaction to this is a big reason why we have these safeguards in place to protect people that are part of studies. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I mean, like we, part of our job is to discover new knowledge, right? And, but we can't do that at the expense of harming someone else or, and, and this is the more nuanced piece of it, taking their information, things that they own, we, we that their own data, like that's what we're studying in, in human subject behavior uh, work is what someone does. They own that. I don't, I don't own it. And we can't take that without them knowing that we're taking it and them agreeing to it and going through an uh, an informed consent process. So it's like something that I take really, really seriously because I think we, it's easy to look at it in a way where we remove ourselves from, from it um, a little bit and say, okay, well, these are, these are cases and we're, and we're studying it, but it's, it's real people that own that data. So we, so we have a process for it. We have, we have a process to go through and, and deception studies as we design them, um, by by definition, have to be have to meet a um, a definition of minimal risk. So we can't deceive someone and not give them all the information about what what's happening in the study, and then say, oh, at the end, you know, by the way, um, we we gave you some human pathogens, and you might get sick. So go wash your hands. 
Um, and, and so in this case, and so the observation that we did last week, there's an individual. So the, sorry, let me go back and tell you a little more about the study. So we're interested in, in chicken washing and we're interested in cleaning and sanitizing. And the way that we're investigating this is through the use of a non-pathogenic surrogate. And that non-pathogenic surrogate, um, in this case is, is a E. coli K12, um, uh, strain that has, it's a, it, it, to, to get all nerdy on you, it's a K12 DH alpha strain that is specifically, uh, has specific genetics to ensure that it does not colonize, will not infect uh, humans, does not, um, you know, pathogenic or not, doesn't carry any pathogenic genes, but also does not have the genes to, to even be able to infect somebody. Um, and it has been established in the literature for as uh, 40 years as, as you know, this is created this way, uh, selected for to make sure that it doesn't have those, uh, those genes. And so we, we present this information through our environmental health and safety process. They look at, um, what it is we want to do last year in phase one of the study, we used a bacteriophage MS2. Um, you know, this year we, we looked for surrogates that might act a little bit, um, uh, better than MS2 around cleaning and sanitizing and not just spread. So that's why we went with E. coli K12. And so we, that, that we, um, we inoculate the chicken with, with this non-pathogenic, you know, what, you know, what, what we, from a lay term, we provide in the, um, in the consent form as a non, or as a, a biological tracer organism. Um, and that's words that, that, um, that, that have been used in, in lots of different spots. So, so we, um, ask the person to wash, you know, to, to prepare this meal. We tell them that it's about looking at spice and, you know, putting spices on it and how they handle it. We ask them to leave the room. Um, when they leave the room, we, um, uh, we look at, um, uh, where if we swab a bunch uh, and we sort of like look to see where if it's been spread, then we bring them back in uh, to the room. And once they're uh, in the room, we ask them to clean and sanitize like they normally would at home um, all the while that this chicken is roasting. And then at the end of it, uh, we have a debrief session with a, a second consent. So the first consent is, hey, I know that I'm uh, I'm doing human subject behavior research. Um, I know that I'm being video recorded. I know that you're watching me for my for my behaviors. Check, um, and and I know that I'm going to be compensated for it. I'm I'm receiving a, a an incentive at the end of it. We we then debrief and say, um, at the start we told you that this process was about. Um, you know, spices, what we're really interested in is it, w what we are interested in are your food handling, food safety behaviors. And um, to get at that, we, we inoculate the, the chicken with this non-pathogenic E. coli strain. So, yeah, and, and by the way, we had to lie to you because yeah. that's how we needed to – because we needed to lie to you for, because science. Right, right. Yeah, and we needed to lie for you because science. And, and here's the deal. If you don't want to be part of our study at this point, no problem. You will still get your incentive. We will destroy your data. Um, we're sorry we lied. We, we're sorry we lied to you, but we needed to do it to get it uh, to this point, and and we do so in a way um, that uh, allows you to act naturally. And we and and we've gone through a review process to make sure that we're not uh, um, exposing you to uh, to risk any more risk than you would have in your in your daily life if you were handling chicken right like we're right in the way that you normally do yeah in the right. way that you normally and, do. yeah and by and by the way people in the university have 
uh, like you don't have to just trust us. It's people. Right. It's other people in the university that are that are making sure that we're following the rules. Yep. 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 Well, and the other thing I just want to add is I conflated in my mind uh, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment and the Tuskegee Airmen. They are actually separate things. The only thing that links them is that uh, the word Tuskegee. <laughs> so we'll link to both Wikipedia articles as well as a Wikipedia article on uh, Institutional Review Board, uh, which is basically the 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 group that uh, at at your university that reviewed your study. Yep. Yep. Um, so at the time of this, uh, you know, we, we do this reveal, like the HGTV style reveal on here's what we're really looking at. Um, the individual who was doing the observation got really, really agitated. Um, he, he, because. well, so because, um, two things, one, we didn't tell him exactly what we were doing. Which, as you just finished a very long explanation, you had to do right. for purposes of the science. Yes. And number two and three was that he did not understand what a biological tracer organism or non-pathogenic E. coli is and why that would not pose um, – uh, lead to a health concern for him. And – so that's number two, but really the root cause of this, and this is where I really, really understand this individual. Um, it's all the feels today, Don. Uh, <laughs> number three is he, his wife, um, has, uh, without sort of compromising OPSEC or anything on this, his wife, his wife has a chronic illness and, um, he is very careful about what what he exposes her to he's her primary caregiver and was very very concerned that that we had and uh, you know I'll paraphrase his words that we had given him something that he would then take home and cause illness in his wife sure well and that's and that's a <sighs> that's a not unfounded concern absolutely right i mean he 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 knows enough to know that and again i'm i'm speculating here you're not revealing anything that his wife is immunocompromised and she is at increased risk of infection and guess what you just put bacteria on his hands yep. and lied to him about it yep and he's, so yeah and and he's really attuned to that um and and so and good for him for being absolutely. attuned to that. It's like absolutely he's a he's doing a great job as her her caregiver yes. by having those concerns and and being aware of that. Yeah, yeah, like a hundred hundred percent. These are this is a uh, a uh, I I don't know if it's an expected response that I had before, but when when he shares what his concerns are, I'm I'm like, oh, I I get it. I'm you, I'm I'm sorry that you are in this situation. And, and I, I told, I understand everything that you're saying. I understand your concerns. Um, and what, you know, how, how can, what, what information can I provide you to, to make this better, um, to help you. And so, so anyway, how this kind of like, um, uh, unfolded is that a grad, a student who is running the project, um, was, you know, doing, doing the observation. Um, uh, she called, um, my, um, the, the project manager and we all happened to be in my office at the time and was like, Hey, there's a man who's really, really upset. He wants the police to come. And so, uh, we're, we're now, now, now the, the police is that, that was that there was nothing in what you provided to say that if you're, if you're really upset, you can call the police. Yeah. Right? That was just his, 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 his reaction was, uh, this is so important. We have to call the police. Yes. Yeah. And, and so what, what, what was, what is in the information is if you're really upset about this, call our institutional review board and you can learn about the process and they'll talk Got you it. through it. 
Um, and he, so he's like, I want the police to come. I want a third party. I want you. So I spoke with him on the phone and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to come over. Let's have, let me, let me have a conversation. I totally understand your concerns. Um, let's, you know, I'll, I'll be right there. So we're, we're about, uh, you know, it takes me some time to get there. Um, but he's, he's pretty insistent. He's like, you call the police, you make sure that they come here and meet me and, and let's talk about this. So I'm like, got it. So I, I then um, call our, you know, first person I call is our IRB folks um, and talk through, like, this is happening. Um, and so got a lot of really good support. And I was like, what about the police? IRB is like, if he wants the police to be there, call the police. Like, there's, you know, no, no, one's, no one's done anything wrong. It's not, um, there's no need to be, to be nervous about it. Um, right. And, and if it's going to make him feel better, absolutely. it's going to make him feel heard, why not? Why right? not? Yeah, I mean, the only the only looking at it at a societal level, the only issue would be if the police came and they could have been doing something else that would have helped somebody else more. Right. Yes. But that's not your decision. That's the police to treat. Uh, it's up to them to triage that and decide what's appropriate. Absolutely. And we also have a process, uh, you know, in the world of police enforcement. Don't call the emergency line. This is not an emergency. No, call, no, ex- yeah. absolutely. This call. is not 911. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So call call the non emergency line number. Get yep. in line. Uh, yeah, for exactly. it. And so that's, so that's exactly what I did. Um, and, uh, you know, we're in contact with lots of, you know, folks, department head and, um, you know, other partners on the project and just being like, this is happening. So I, so I go there and I, and I sit with them, uh, with the individual for a while and I talk them through this and, and I, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details of the stuff that I said, cause it's basically all the stuff that we just talked about. Um, and, and, and this is what like shook me a little bit that I'm, I'm still not fully recovered from. And this is this is real. This and, is and, yeah. and we should we should also say that when you were texting us all of this, it 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 became clear the more you texted us that you were pretty rattled. Was, like like yeah. it wasn't immediately. It wasn't <laughs> well. It was a little bit. It was a little bit weird that you sent us this message, this sort of cryptic message that that didn't have any context. But then as you kind of you yourself kind of calmed down, and then you sort of texted us, walked us through your 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 frame of mind. It became quite clear that you were pretty rattled. Yeah. And and I and legitimately so, right? It's just that the text text messaging doesn't communicate <laughs> the nuances of how rattled you are. Like as it would be if you had picked up the phone and called us, it would you would have come across a little differently. Yeah. 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 No, you're. You're exactly right. I was totally rattled. I, <laughs> I I did not like for lots of reasons. There's uncertainty in this. The um the process, the uncertainty of what like I what happens when the police come. Um and and honestly, you know, this is your second strike, Ben. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so they, yeah, they've true. already been, you almost called one more time. True, true, so. true. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, at least the last time I didn't have to interact with a police officer, they just drove by to make sure we were leaving. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. So um. So, so anyway, we, uh, I, I talked to him, um, a little bit about it and I explained about sort of the science and, and, and how, what non-pathogenic means and, and, and all that stuff. And, and he, and this is like a really rational individual who was like, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I am not sophisticated enough to know if what you're telling me is true or not. And you just lied to me because this is a deception study. I already don't trust you. Yeah, sure. And, and he's like, that's why I want the maybe, police. Maybe it's a, maybe this is a, a study inside a study. Maybe oh you're lying gosh. now. It's right? meta. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm being studied, Don. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so anyway, this, um, you know, the, we, we sit and chat, at, um, a, a couple other individuals, uh, join me. We talk about microbiology with them and he's like, look, I, I get it. You know, I, I know what you're saying. 
Um, he's like, I really want the police to come and I want them to test this stuff and I want them to make a determination if I've been exposed to something. Oh, that's wait, 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 yeah, yeah. No, no. I, no oh, that, that's now we've now we've kind of. Yes. I, I apologize. I shouldn't laugh at this gentleman. Right. But that he thinks that the right thing to do is for the police to test this. Not yes. anyway. It's it, the police don't have the capacity no. to test this. Right. I mean, maybe the maybe the state crime lab in conjunction with local with uh, state public health. But I mean, anyway, now, now we're now we're getting we're veering off into a little bit of a uh, crazy town. But again, I, 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 I don't want to make fun of this guy, but I, I had to laugh. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's something like this is a part. This is like going back to our other story about how uh, epidemiology works. This is where like think about what it, what it looks like on the outside from from someone who doesn't know what we're doing. Right. Like oh, the university allowed this to happen. There's a process. What if the university is wrong? What if this, you know, this egghead doctor is wrong? I need a, I need a second opinion. Who do I call when I need second opinions? And especially one of the things that he said is like, this study is fraudulent. You didn't tell me that I was exposed to something before. That's fraud. Um, that was in his mind, right? Like that's that's where he was going. So when, if some if fraud's being committed, who do I call? Call the police. So police officer shows up. We have a really nice conversation. Uh, police officer, um, just shout out to whatever kind of police training happens here in the, in the city of Raleigh is fantastic. The officer said, first of all, to the individual, what about this situation makes you think that there's law enforcement that needs to be involved? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so that great. started out nicely. Uh, but he, he did say, it's, you know, he said, listen to both of our you know, accounts of what happened and then said, look, um, this is a civil issue. If you think that you've been wronged, that there was information about this study that you weren't shared with and that that, that there's some uh, damage, then, then you need to take that up with the university. It's not, we, we don't have, uh, you know, the, and, and I'll paraphrase again uh, on this. We don't, I don't have uh, any data that shows that you've become ill, um, that there's anything harmful about this, that there's, you know, I, there's, he, he didn't use the words environmental health and safety, but he said, you know, there's a safety review of these things that your studies can't go out without someone looking at it to make sure we're not harm being harmed. You know, it's a public institution. There are processes that need to be followed. Um, and, and that, um, you know, that he was, he, he first asked me, he said, did you know you were a part of a research study? And the individual said, yes. He said, were you compensated for your time? I said, yes. I said, okay, well you, you gave consent to be part of this. It seems like, wow, when, this yeah. is a police guy saying this. Yeah. That's the police guy. So, like, so he, he understands this crazy. I, right? I'm, I'm, imp I'm really impressed. It was fascinating. <laughs> The only thing that would have impressed me more if he would have whipped out a test kit and said, "Why, well, yes, sir, let me test you for E. coli right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and he said, he's like, look, we don't have the facilities to do something like that. Yep. Um, and this is where we work with public health. If, if you have a health issue, then we follow back up um, with, you know, with you. And so, so he understood like chain of command and yep. all that. Yeah. And then, and then that was, you know, the, the, the participant was like, okay. And that was kind of the end of the, the conversation. Um, for, for, you know, with the police officer, uh, the participant did, did follow up with our institutional review board. And so this is kind of the story, um, continues. Uh, so, uh, the uh, following up and said he, he complained about the process and really not about, not about how we handled it, but that anything like this would happen. He was really upset about how IRB would allow deception studies. And so when that, when that, enough, yeah, which that, is, that's, yeah. Yep. And so when that happens, oh, so sorry, can I, oh, can I, can I just yeah. get, get brief, brief digression here? So one of the things that on our, uh, on our biosafety committee, and I don't, I don't get involved with IR. I mean, I, I, 
I do submit things to IRB because we do put bacteria on people's hands for hand washing. Um, but uh, and I think it's true for for IRB, but it's probably also true for well, I know it's true for biosafety is there is a community member of that committee. Oh. So if he if he wanted to, again, I don't know how it's structured at NC State, but it, at least for biosafety, there's somebody from the who's quote unquote representing the community that is not affiliated with the university. Um, now you have to have somebody who's 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 qualified. But I mean, I, that's a oh, I, I don't know if you really have a, you'll yeah. you'll find out more because we'll we'll get to we'll get to that. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. So well, that's that. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So sort of like an advocate for the for the people. That, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, so where this kind of goes now uh, is that I go to the uh, to our IRB meeting on uh, Tuesday next week uh, and talk about the incident and and sort of say here's what we did here's what happened. But for me, like, and this is the rattled part for me in a in a few ways. One is I don't want to put anybody in this situation where they. E- have a feeling that they are uh, being exposed to some sort of risk. Like this is this is emotional, right? Like we did something here that led to emotion, followed all the processes, but it's still still like I don't want to be I I didn't I didn't want to have that conversation on Friday. <laughs> right? Like and I yeah. didn't want to have the feeling over the weekend of like, oh my gosh, what like what are we am I am I doing it? Am I doing everything right? Uh, to do it. You know, I know there's a process to protect everybody involved, but am I, am I, is everything, is, are we doing it right? Um, and, and so we, we are right. Like, I mean, for, in, in our conversations I met with IRB on, on Monday and, and as, you know, as it relates to the incident, we handled everything in a, in the way that we're supposed to. But to me, that's also, this is an unanticipated event and it's not sort of good enough going forward. So we're going to make some changes. And so, um, some of the things that we propose and when I go to meet with IRB this week or, or next week, we're going to talk about is, um, being much more explicit about what non-pathogenic means and I, and versus pathogenic and explaining that and talking about the differences between, um, you know, things that are able to grow and, and why and talking about minimal risk and what that means and, and sort of explaining more in this understanding. So I don't, I don't want to be in a, in a situation where we're not respecting that, that individual. And, and I'm not, you know, I, I don't feel like we're swinging the pendulum too far to the other way on this, which is a, a term that, that, you know, sort of came up in, in our IRB discussions. Like don't, don't just knee jerk reaction to this, but I think that there are things that we can do better in risk communication because it happens to be the area that I know about in this, um, in, in this post, uh, study debrief conversation. Um, and then we're, we, we worked on text and are putting together a one page sort of document that explains pathogenic versus non-pathogenic surrogate versus human pathogens, where we find them, why we use them, how we make decisions. And that if someone has once more information instead of us, like, so here, um, we had a, we had a student who was like, did her absolute best. Um, did stuff above and beyond any expectation, any training that we had given her to say, look, this is what we're doing. Um, and we put her in a, in a position that I don't want to have a student in again, which is having this person, this escalating because the answers that she's providing that are all perfect and true don't help this individual. And what he wants is something written. So it's like, no problem. We'll write it up. And, and if someone is, has more questions about it, here you go. And then it sort of engaged me, uh, you know, me. And then training the, our data collectors better on what to do in in these unanticipated events um, as well. So that's the stuff that I take to IRB next week and say we had this event. 
we followed everything right, but I still want to make some changes on how we do deal with stuff because we've learned about this. This is the first time it's happened, but I don't want to. I don't want to encounter this again. And and so here's here's our our proposed changes. But yeah, I mean it. It was um, it was not like I don't know. I'm like I said before. It's all the feels today, and I did not. I was rattled. I I continued to to reflect on this. Like this is it. And you, you, you know, you're, you're at the, the stage of your career where, you know, where I, I'm like looking ahead to, I, this is not my last human subject observation deception study, right? Like I'm not, this isn't just a one-off. This is where my career is. So I, I want to, I really do want to make sure that I, I do this right, that I can move things forward because there's, there, there aren't a lot of models. There aren't a lot of people doing what we're doing on this. And I want to make sure that that, that we, we learn from, from situations like this. Well, and so, yeah, so make things better for you, make things better for your student, make things better for your future students, but also make things better for the IRB community at NC state, potentially make the things better for the IRB, IRB community in the U S and elsewhere. Right. I mean, because this is like, this is an opportunity to say, okay, things did not go well. What can we do differently? Yeah. Or is is there anything? But let's at least let's at least like think about this because we have an opportunity here um, where we should uh, we should do something different, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, exactly. Exactly right. And that this is it just comes back to that sort of central theme of um, these are people and we are asking them for our benefit to participate in research. Right. Not not really for their benefit. I mean, we talk about um, in, in the IRB process, we do talk about benefits. There's no direct benefit to the participant, benefit to the world of public health. That's, right. that's pretty exactly. far removed yep. To, yep. from that individual. We're, we're asking for their information, for their time, so we can generate new knowledge and solve things. But, you know, the guy that, that has uh, an individual at home that has um, uh, in, um, concerns about the health of his, his family member – uh, there's not a there's not a benefit to him participating last week. Like I mean, even the compensation is not really a benefit. It's not. It's just like we're compensating for your time. Well, and in fact, um, let's say that you weren't on the up and up, and you hadn't done um, a good job with IRB, and you hadn't chosen the right strain. There's a clear risk. Yeah, absolutely. Right? If if you had if you hadn't done everything right. Uh, there's a there's a clear risk to uh, to 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 him and to his family. So yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's so, a good story. I mean, it's 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 a good story. So yeah, it was it, it was I, I'm. The, <laughs> it's like listening to Roderick on the line, where I there was a couple of episodes ago where uh, John was talking about like talking to one of his friends, you know, one of his former partners, who was like, John, not everything's a story. And he's like, what do you mean not everything's a story? <laughs> exactly. Everything, <laughs> of course, everything's a story. Of course, everything's a story. And and in fact, there like there are times in all of this stuff that I thought, man, I've, I'm experiencing something here that I, that I, I need to, I need to collect and I need to think about, and I need to share not just on the podcast, but, but in the future to my students, to others, when I'm talking about doing this research, because this isn't an area that, that lots of people are in. And this is an experience that matters on how we do stuff, right? Like the, there, it is, there is a story here. And, and, and just like things that I harp on, um, from foodborne illness outbreaks where, um, you know, we can't, we can't expose people to, to illnesses without learning from it. 
or you know, that's not what we did here, but the, you know, like, like outbreaks can't go un unlearned from this event can't go unlearned from, and it's not just me. It's being able to share that. So, so thanks for letting me rant for, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour about almost getting arrested. Yeah, no, good, good stuff. And we don't, uh, um, I don't know which episode of, of Roderick, uh, it was, uh, where everything's not a story. Somebody's told Dan or told, uh, John, everything's not a story, but we'll link to the main, uh, Roderick, uh, page. It's a great, if you're not listening to it, it's a great podcast. Uh, you should, if you like, if you like podcasts in the genre of two white guys talking, um, it's pretty good. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> good, good. Um, so awesome. how much time do you have? I've got, I got, uh, 20, 26 minutes. I have, so I'll, I'll give you my, my schedule. I have, I still have not showered, so I need to <laughs> shower. And then I have 20 minutes to get to my, um, to my dentist appointment and they are 20 minutes away. So, so I think, yeah, so we got, I got 26 minutes. <laughs> I'm not sure I follow your math. But well, so I have to I, be I, there by 11. It's 10 oh, 11, okay, 11. Yeah. All right. So we, we back got, it out. Okay, yeah. Got I got to leave at 10 travel. We got shower. We yeah. got podcast. Okay. Yep. So, um, so let's, uh, let's do a rapid, uh, round robin, uh, listener feedback. So, um, uh, got a question from, um, a listener, uh, who says that you can read my message, but not my name. Uh, I'm going to call him, uh, for purposes of this podcast, um, uh, deep logger. Um, I also thought about calling him uh, deep onion, which he prefers, but, um, uh, it's, he, he's not the onion. He's going, we could call him a deep peeler maybe. Um, but anyway, here we go. Um, an acquaintance recommended your podcast. Uh, I've been binging the last two weeks. I work for a restaurant chain in North Carolina as a food safety specialist, in-house, basically in-house technician, take care of all the temperature logging, um, uh, take it out of the hands of managers who would otherwise be too busy or at least in my experience when I started, don't do it. So good, good for you. Good job to log those temperatures. Um, he writes – I don't have a proper college education, but I'm interested in growing my career in the field of food safety rather than restaurant management. Uh, can you think of any way forward for that? Um, I still can't afford college, so that's that's out for now. I've been tangentially aware of the IAFP conference. So you think it's worth it? Um, uh, and then he can then he has a question for for which we'll talk about in a minute. So my recommendation to him there was. Um, IFP is great, but it's probably going to be expensive and it's going to be overwhelming. Um, and then he might want to start with the Carolinas Association for Food Protection, which, you know what, Ben? I know the guy who's who's the current chairman of that uh, oh. that affiliate. His name is Ben Chapman. Well, well, in in name uh, more than more than anything. But I do oh, okay. have but I have but I've got. Uh, yeah, you let's get to his question and I'm going to come back to the Carolina affiliate. OK, so we. um and we will link to the Carolinas Association for Food Protection, uh, which, according to the website, um, says that Ben Chapman is the president. So, um, but that's I think if if and that's good uh, general advice for people. If you are interested in food safety, you don't have the budget or the time to go to the national meeting. Um, find your local affiliate and and get involved. Um, okay, so now food safety question. Um, one of our locations had a particularly picky inspector come through, and he said we should be washing onions before we peel and cut the. Um, he said, I did some thoughts on that, and I found a stack exchange argument from a couple of years ago that had some pretty good points on both sides. Uh, after reading that exchange, I, I do think we should be peeling the onions and then cutting them after a hand-washing step, but the current process is just to cut the unpeeled onions on the ends and, and then in half to make it easier to remove the peel. Um, so um, I so um, – and then and – then it was like, well, I thought we talked about this before on the podcast, but then I'm not I'm not sure. I know – um, that I did talk to somebody about peeling right. and I found the email and I don't know whether we talked about it on the podcast, but it was an email from uh, back in that didn't come in through the podcast website that came in back in April. 
uh, and the person I won't I won't reveal information. He says I work in the food safety department for corporate dining, multiple outlets. Uh, my job is to provide training and education. Um, recently, the question about washing onions before cutting them came to me. Since we wash all fruits, even if we're going to peel them, washing onions is not standard practice. I'm going to get a lot of pushback if we have to wash them. No kidding. Um, I don't find any supportive information that show it's okay just to peel them. Um, looking for answers, I found a video uh, on myrecipes.com where you can na- where where your name came up. Um, uh, <laughs> that's bizarre. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find any issues outbreaks with uh, the kind of onions that we're talking about here um, and yeah and the, and the short the short answer is that's because there haven't been any there there were there were outbreaks with green onions uh, from chichis but those those are not the the kind of onions that we're talking about oh, here. oh breaking so, breaking news don oh yeah break, there has been oh okay. yeah but you wouldn't we won't fight so i will link to this there was an outbreak so it's not this is one where it's like is it the onions is it not the onions but it was a dirty onion slicer in, okay. in a Harvey's restaurant in North Bay, Ontario, back before I started in NC State, I think the outbreak was like 2006, 2007. And then in 2008, they finally, the epidemiological report was linked to it. And the epi uh, suggested that likely it was it was an 0157 likely came in on onions but then persisted in the onion slicer because it was not used for anything else and it was exposure over like a five-week period um and that in that five-week period that there wasn't cleaning and sanitizing uh of the uh of the slicer so may not have been the onions but it was what may not have been the contaminated onions at the start but uh pretend, likely uh according to the investigation in in um in introduced by the onions oh and look at that there's a food safety info sheet about this. <laughs> that's how <laughs> that's i nice know job. about it <laughs> but again um washing would not have helped so right, bottom, not bottom line my opinion no you don't need to wash your onions um there there's no you you need to peel them and you need to not slice them on a contaminated slicer uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, this one triggered me to go do some a little bit of digging uh, this morning as well. And uh, so similar type of question. Um, and I didn't pull the, the paper for this, but in 2010, 2011, there was a whole bunch of 0157 that was linked to handling of raw leeks and potatoes. Mm-hmm. So this is in the UK. Uh, 80 hospitalizations. Uh, this is just reading from the abstract. Routine investigative data were used to generate a hypothesis, but a subsequent case control study was inconclusive. So they weren't able to talk about that. And I remember reading the paper. They weren't able to say it was preparing it, it was undercooked, whatever. So what they kind of landed on was this this strain was linked to the handling of these raw leeks and potatoes. So, so to me... W- it's maybe that onions could also be linked to this type of thing in in the future, right? Like, so it's not to say that we it can't happen, um, but but you know, I don't think of handling raw potatoes as a risk factor for a one five seven. Um, and so in, in here's a you know a pretty pretty large outbreak that that said yeah, well handling raw you know, raw leeks and raw potatoes in uh, restaurant settings and in homes uh, were linked to it. So, yeah, it's uh, that that's yeah, that's this is that's it's it's it, I think we're 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 pushing it a little bit. And, and again, <laughs> if it's if it's raw, if it's raw leeks and potatoes. Yeah. 
well, how, which one was it? And, you know, was it, could it have been the potatoes? And no, but we're for sure we're saying washed potatoes because they're, they're dirty, right? I mean, you know, they, they've got dirt on them, so. Right, right, right. But so I guess, but it's not a food that we would typically look at and say, oh, this is, you know, handling that, just handling it would be a risk factor for, for 0157 or human pathogens, right? Yeah, well, in, in which case, you know, wash your hands, right? But it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're, anyway, I, I still will stand by my advice that it's not necessary to to wash onions, uh, just just peel them. I'm, uh, with, I'm with you. Yeah, or I'm, or if you want to, you know, rinse, rinse them off if you think you need to, but I mean, it's, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, and washing doesn't do that much anyway, right? I mean, and if the onions... Anyway, the onions need to be cooked, or if they're not cooked, well, yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I, it's not a, not high on my list of priorities. No. So, um, so the only thing I could find on on that UK outbreak is an NHS um, website on washing fruits and vegetables. So if you have anything more of substance, um, please uh, send it to me so yeah, uh, we yeah. can put it in show notes. I will, uh, I will do so. All right. Um, next, uh, let's see. Um, okay. Uh, so this is um, uh, a post that I'm entitling Hot Wood and Cold Yogurt. Uh, it says, you can read my message, but not my name. I'm going to call him Hot Wood. <laughs> so hot, thanks, Hot Wood. Um, uh, I have three questions. I'd love for you guys to answer, guys to answer any or all. Uh, hot Wood number one, uh, my spouse. Uh, often uses wood utensils to break up raw meat in the cooking pan. How dangerous is this? Is the wooden utensil ruined forever? If not, how should I sanitize it? Hot wood number two. Uh, she sometimes cooks, cuts fully cooked meat on a wooden cutting board. How dangerous is that? Is the cutting board ruined forever? If not, how should I sanitize it? And then cold yogurt. As a treat for kids, I like to make frozen yogurt pops from typical refrigerated yogurt with live cultures. Do freezing temperatures have a negative effect on the probiotic bacteria in the yogurt? In this case, I'm not worried about food safety, but rather the safety and well-being of the, of the bacteria, the poor bacteria. So um, we'll do the yogurt first. Uh, freezing definitely has a negative effect on most bacteria. Uh, ballpark, you could say tenfold reduction in the concentration versus fresh yogurt. Um, you know, uh, if, if there are if there are bacteria left in the yogurt, uh, there'll be if there if there if bacteria have any benefit, there'll be probably some left in the frozen yogurt. Um <clears throat> In terms of uh, wooden spoons and wooden cutting boards, I would say um, uh, wooden uh, wooden uh, wooden spoon is as long as it's sanitized, it's okay. What we do in my house is we put our wooden utensils in an automatic dishwasher. That's not ideal for the wooden spoons; it it, it degrades their quality. Um, but then we just get a new cheap wooden spoon when it's when it's time. Um, <clears throat> If you don't have an automatic uh, dishwasher, uh, boiling water will work as a sanitizer. Um, chlorine would also work, but boiling water is probably better um, and, and probably better for the, the spoons as well. Um, <clears throat> I do think that spoons and wooden, wooden spoons and wooden cutting boards should be uh, periodically treated with oil to seal the wood. Um, we don't particularly do this um, at, at our house, but it is uh, should should I think is part of the the care of of these items. Um, same basic advice with the wooden cutting boards. Um, there's a bit of scientific debate about this. Um, we can link to some of the papers by Dean Cliver that showed the conventional wisdom is don't use wooden cutting boards for meat. Uh, Dean Cliver showed that if you put uh, pathogenic bacteria on a wooden cutting board, um, maybe the oils from the wood would have a uh, beneficial effect uh, uh, on the food safety, it would kill the bacteria. There's some countervailing publications that show that no, in fact, the bacteria just absorbed into the wood, but then, then they just survive. So uh, any any feedback on uh, hot wood or cold yogurt? Uh, yeah, so on the hot wood, so I just sent a link to 
um, some stuff that I did for NC State a couple years ago on cutting boards and citing uh, uh, Dean Cliver's uh, work and just some, I guess, tips. Uh, and this, so in uh, as an aside, uh, apparently this uh, post is uh, for the last three years has been the number two most popular post on the NC State website. Uh, uh, three years running. Yeah, crazy, right? <clears throat> so, um, so anyway, we get um, like lots of, I get lots of questions about cutting boards because of this. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. The oils initially, but then the capillary action, um, shown to draw, draw the bacteria that may be on the outside inside deeper inside. So you don't have maybe, um, a, a lot of a chance for cross contamination as long as it dries. So even the salmonella that might survive in low risk, um, low moisture environments, uh, it's not going to proliferate and grow. Um, I use, uh, you know, it, it, on the outside and become a, a risk. I use both wood and, and plastic cutting boards. Um, I, you know, I try to make sure that we have hardwoods. I go through, we go through cutting boards pretty, pretty quickly. Like we'll, we'll do, um, I don't know, once, once every couple of years I'm throwing out one and, and it's, and it's quality reasons. Like, cause wood cutting boards start to smell over time. Mm. Um, and, uh, we, we also have a butcher block Island that we use as a, as a cutting board and we salt that a lot, um, for like various historical reasons, but also to make it s smell less, especially if you're cutting onions. Haha. <laughs> see, see huh. what I did? It's called back nice to job. something earlier in the, uh, nice uh, job. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean the cutting boards, it's really interesting. I think like theoretically are, are this like thing that we look at as, ah, there's shit, there are cross contamination risks, but it's actually pretty complicated. And, um, it, unless you've got real direct contamination, um, you know, on it, and then you place something on the washing and drying of it, I think makes them pretty, um, pretty safe products, regardless of what kind it is. Cool. Cool. So, uh, next bit of feedback comes from, uh, uh, repeat, um, um, uh, messenger, uh, uh, Craig, the cable guy, a health inspector, who's apparently not thrilled with these. He doesn't nickname. like that. It's it, but Don't. it's, but it's, it's stuck. He's calling himself that now. Yeah. So, um, he says they just finished episode 161. Um, he loved the modeling discussion. And so thanks. Thanks for that. We're glad we could be of some help. Um, he also agreed that how you handled the, you suggested the handling the situation, uh, is, is perfect. The food that's out of temperature does not always need to be discarded. Um, <clears throat> he says that his rule of thumb is if the food is under 50 and he has uh, good date marking data showing it's been a short amount of time, he doesn't have the establishment discard the food as long as they have another refrigerator uh, to move the food to or if they're going to use it quickly. Um, he says uh, he does have one question about thoughts on uh, if the out of temperature food is not ready to eat. So he says, for example, I find raw chicken held at 45. What would be your process in this situation? Uh, the bacteria concern is probably not listeria. It probably is salmonella. I would agree. Um, there's a lot of competing bacteria in the raw product. Uh, does the potential increase in bacteria affect the time-temperature combination for cooking? Um, oh, and then he also has a tip on... Um, uh, using alcohol swabs uh, when sanitizing a thermometer during inspection. So if the time is very short, um, going from food A to food B, uh, how uh, effective is a quick wipe with an alcohol swab and sanitizing a thermometer? I think it's pretty good as long as there's not uh, visible food debris or even if there is, you know, you just wipe it a couple wow. times. But generally, it's a good uh, that's a, that's a good technique. Um, in terms of the um, uh, not ready to eat food, I think the same general rules can be applied to foods that are not ready to eat. Uh, in my experience, 
experience looking at models below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, listeria grows fast, faster, and above 50, salmonella grows faster. And we built some um, integrated models that basically show, that basically combine both of those for overall worst case. Uh, but as long as the net increase is less than a one log increase, and, and for short amounts of time it is, um, uh, that, that increase in risk is minimal and would be controlled by by proper cooking. And I will link um, to a paper that where we publish those models in some work uh, consulting project for the good folks at uh, Jetro Restaurant Depot that resulted in a peer-reviewed publication to help them help their customers manage food that they were transporting to uh, to restaurants. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, good, good. No, no, nothing for me to add. Awesome. Um, okay, I think the last uh, bit of feedback here. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, we have. Um, uh, a, a plus one for um, the Canadian uh, food segment. Yes. So, uh, from that's from Deep Weed. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks Deep Weed, for the feedback. Uh, we uh, um, we we do appreciate your your positive feedback on that. Um, and and just to, just just to oh, yeah. uh, cycle mm-hmm. back on this one, um, uh, oh. poutine and tortilla are coming, but uh, proper bacon, Smarties, Beaver whale tails, and all dressed chips are all coming as well. So I will confirm to Deep Weed that that is the you'll as as we go through the segment, Don's going to be exposed to all this stuff. <laughs> I I can hardly wait. Um, okay. <laughs> all right, um, and then finally, uh, double gloving. So uh, this is um, coming f- to us via Facebook Messenger um, uh, from a person that we won't identify. Uh, he says, have you guys ever had any discussions around the practice of double gloving in restaurant settings? We see two practices uh, where one uses a very loose fitting glove that just shakes off after use and another with two tight fitted gloves and the employee pulls off the outermost layer once it's contaminated or they are changing tasks. Any studies? on this? Um, uh, is it a potential uh, topic for the podcast? Um, I think it is absolutely a great topic for the podcast. I don't know if we have time to, to address it in detail on this one. I will say that I did um, do some um, research on double gloving. And if you search the literature looking for double gloving, what you find is you find a whole lot on double gloving as a practice for um, hospitals and for surgeons, because uh, if you double glove when you're a surgeon, it increases the it decreases the chance that you'll get a glove puncture and then potentially either the the surgeon contaminating the the patient or the patient contaminating the surgeon. And so it is a good it is a good practice there. There is really essentially zero discussion of double gloving in the literature. Uh, there was a paper um, that um, uh, Dean Cliver talked about. Um, uh, or not Dean Cliver, that, that uh, you and Todd wrote um, uh, as part of this long series where we talked about it. But, um, but yeah, it's not, uh, it's, not, it's not high risk. And did we already talk about this? We did. We talked about it a little okay. bit as part of our last uh, uh, episode's quick hits. Yep. Um, but, yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll just re-link uh, to um, our last episode and a couple of things because uh, it is an interesting one. I think there's room for us to for, – for people to do some more research on this because I think it's becoming – uh, increasing in in, in uh, use or at least per wanted use, um, but there was a conference for food protection um, uh, uh, issue submitted on this back in 2012, uh, as well to sort of establish a little more guidance on how to handle double gloving, um, and so 
I, what, what that group was looking for was determining if and when double gloving would be acceptable without hand washing and what would the procedures be. Um, and, and so, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, we, and we, yeah. we already talked about this and we linked to it in the last episode, we did. So, uh, food safety, uh, bolo ties. So I, I don't know why I didn't remember that or why, maybe why this message, um, was here. Maybe I put it in the wrong spot, but anyway, um, good to, good to, uh, re, uh, rediscuss that. Yeah. So cool. And, uh, and you probably have to go to the dentist. I, I do. We covered everything. I do. I do. Yeah. So I think that's a show. All right. All right. Well, uh, Don, as always, uh, it's fun, fun to chat. Enjoy your out of country experience. Um, and, uh, we'll do this again soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. for the show notes. Thank you. Um, I, okay, if we're looking a couple weeks from now, uh, I could... What is this? Farmer's Market need to talk about the template. I have a note two weeks from now that says, at 2 o'clock, I'm supposed to do Farmer's Market with Renee to talk about the template and upload my stuff into my stuff. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, now I know what that is. Okay. Um, I could do something like uh, Thursday the, the 13th in the morning, like and really any time in the morning. I, I have a defense, so oh, I can't. that sucks. I could do the 14th. Um, I don't know exactly when yet, and you don't like to do Fridays. It's not, it's not ideal. Um, I, and I, but I, but I could do, I mean, I could, we could do a nine, nine o'clock. I don't. So I'm, I have, I'm holding all day for, uh, a discussion with some new agents and I don't know when I'm the, on the agenda yet. So I'm, so let's, how about, let's look at a different date. Yeah. Let's, how about look at Monday the 17th. Okay. Anytime before 1 PM wide all right. open. All right. So want to say 10? Yep. 10 AM is perfect. Yeah, because we did this one a little, a little out of phase. We gave him a bonus.
Yeah, well, and yeah, so this one's recording a little bit early, but you'll you probably you might not get it posted today, so it it should all be good. Yeah. Okay. Ten a.m. September seventeenth. Yep. Go. Awesome. All right. Uh, I'm gonna go get uh, get my my fillings taken care of. Good luck. Thanks. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. Hey. Whoa. Something sounds weird. Um. Hmm. You sound okay to me. It sounds like you are a monster. Weird. <laughs> I, I'm gonna see. Okay, let me let me see. Uh, let me let me uh, do some finagling here because it's okay. uh, you sound like uh, Darth Vader. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. that's that's a totally the sound I was going for. It's gonna be a good recording. This one. All right, all right. Let me <laughs> let me try something else. Uh, I'll call you back in a sec.